We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. When Charles Finney was just 20 years old, he was a school teacher, and then he decided to change from teaching school and to take a two-year law course a Yale Law course, and to do this, he moved to Adams, New York. He had no Christian background. He had not been attending a church. His family was not religious. 
And so it was in Adams that he first began to attend to the worship service. Now we want to share with you today some very specific things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely clear. If a man or woman does not overcome their sin, they cannot be saved. If a man or woman continues to walk in rebellion against God, they will suffer eternal punishment. This is not a casual decision. And many of you, I'm urging to reconsider your spiritual life and take very seriously what you will hear us share with you today about Charles Finney and his early life. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. With me in studio is Alexandra, my wife. Welcome, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And so I'm going to ask her to begin sharing a bit of the early history of Charles Finney. You'll see why as we move more deeply into this sharing today. Yes, and we're, she- we're sharing from his autobiography, which you can purchase. It's called Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney. As Pastor Ray mentioned, Finney was born in Connecticut in 1792. And in 1818, he moved to Adams, New York to begin studying law. So Finney writes, At Adams for the first time, I regularly heard the preaching of an educated minister, Reverend George W. Gale from Princeton, New Jersey, became pastor of the local Presbyterian church soon after I arrived there. His preaching was of the old school and was therefore thoroughly Calvinistic, sometimes resembling what has been called hyper-Calvinism. I was not able to gain very much instruction from his preaching because, as I sometimes told him, he seemed to assume many things that to my mind needed to be proved. He seemed to take it for granted that his hearers were theologians and that he might therefore assume all the great and fundamental doctrines of the gospel. But I was more perplexed than edified by his preaching. Until this time, I had never lived where I could attend a regular prayer meeting, so I began to attend one that was held near our law office every week, as often as I could be excused from business at that hour. In studying elementary law, I found the old authors frequently quoting the scriptures and referring especially to the Pentateuch as authority for many of the great principles of common law. This excited my curiosity so much that I went and purchased a Bible, the first I had ever owned. Whenever I found a reference by the law authors to the Bible, I turned to the passage of scripture. This soon led to my taking a new interest in the Bible, and I read and meditate on it much more than I had ever done before in my life. However, much of it I did not understand. Mr. Gale, the preacher, frequently dropped by our office and seemed anxious to know what impression his sermons had made on my mind. I used to converse with him freely, and I now think that I sometimes criticized his sermons unmercifully. I raised whatever objections I had against his positions. In conversing with him, 
I confirmed my suspicion that he himself was confused, and that he did not accurately define to himself what he meant by many of the important terms that he used. Indeed, I found it impossible to attach any meaning to many of the terms he used with great formality and frequency. What did he mean by repentance? Was it a mere feeling of sorrow for sin? Was it altogether a passive state of mind? In what respect was it a change of mind? What did he mean by the term regeneration? What did such language mean when applied to a spiritual change? What did he mean by faith? Was it merely an intellectual state? Was it merely a conviction or persuasion that the things stated in the gospel were true? What did he mean by sanctification? Did it involve any physical change in the person or any physical influence on the part of God? I could not tell, nor did he himself seem to know in what sense he used these and similar terms. We had many interesting conversations, but they seemed to raise more questions in my mind rather than to satisfy me in respect to the truth. But as I read my Bible, attended the prayer meetings, heard Mr. Gale preach, and conversed with him and the elders of the church and others from time to time, I became very restless. A little consideration convinced me that I was by no means in a state of mind to go to heaven if I were to die. It seemed to me that religion contained something infinitely important, and so I decided that if the soul was immortal, I needed a great change in my inward state to be prepared for happiness in heaven. But still, I was not sure of the truth of the gospel and the Christian religion, and the question was of too much importance to allow me to rest in any uncertainty on the subject. I was particularly struck with the fact that the prayers that I had listened to from week to week were not answered. Indeed, from continued prayers and from other remarks, I understood that those who offered them did not regard them as answered. I heard the people pray continually for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and just as often I heard them confess that they did not receive what they had asked for. When I read my Bible, I learned what Christ had said in regard to prayer and answers to prayer. Matthew 7, 7-8 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I also read that God is more willing to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him than earthly parents are to give good gifts to their children. Verse 11. This inconsistency, the fact that the Christians prayed so much and were not answered, was a sad stumbling block to me. I did not know what to make of it. Was I to believe that these people were not truly Christians, and therefore did not prevail with God? Did I misunderstand the promises and teachings of the Bible on this subject? Or was I to conclude that the Bible was not true? Here was something inexplicable to me, and at one point it seemed that it would almost drive me into skepticism. It seemed to me that the teachings of the Bible did not at all agree with the facts that were before my eyes. On one occasion, when I was in one of the prayer meetings, some of the attendees asked if I wanted them to pray for me. I told them no, 
because I did not see that God answered their prayers. I said, I suppose I need to be prayed for, for I am conscious that I am a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me, for you are continually asking that you do not receive. You have been praying for a revival of religion ever since I have been in Adam's, and yet you have not seen it happen. You have been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you, and yet you complain of your spiritual leanness. You have prayed enough since I have attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of Adam's if there is any virtue in your prayers. But here you are, still praying and still complaining. I was quite earnest and probably very irritable as a result of being brought face to face with religious truth, which was a new state of things to me. On further reading of my Bible, it struck me that the Christians' prayers were not answered because they did not comply with the conditions upon which God had promised to answer prayer. They did not pray in faith, in the sense of expecting God to give them the thing for which they asked. For some time, this thought only led me to more questions, rather than to anything definite. However, this relieved me. After struggling in that way for two or three years, I firmly concluded that whatever confusion there might be, either in my own mind, in my pastors, or in the mind of the church, the Bible was nevertheless the true word of God. This being settled, I was brought face to face with the question of accepting Christ and his gospel, or pursuing a worldly life. The Holy Spirit was so much at work in me, though I did not know it then, that I could not leave this question unsettled for much longer. You know, Alexandra, what's clear as you've shared this story of Charles Finney is that we're faced today with that same identical question. Will I pursue a worldly life or will I take the word of God for what it is? Now, what makes Charles Finney uncomfortable for many is that he took the word of God literally as he would take his law book, literally. And so he wanted to know, can I trust that the word of God means what it says? And obviously, these people had been taught a theology that did not cause them to seek after the presence of God for victory in their lives and for answers to prayer. This is a very difficult situation because if you do not take the word of God for face value, then you will take it at an emotional level, even an intellectual level, that allows you the freedom to sin boldly against God and enjoy the things of the world while all the time saying, I'm a Christian. And today I'd like to cut that line very clearly that a Christian is one who follows Jesus. And when a man follows Jesus, he is born from above, and he has victory in his life, and his prayers are answered. Do you have thoughts about what you've shared? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about what I've shared. Uh, I think it's particularly um, relevant today that he 
he was going to these prayer meetings every week and the people were praying for the same things every week and there was no answer. And, you know, this is troubling and I think this is why in a lot of churches I've been to, people don't even have, the church doesn't even have prayer meetings anymore. They've even given up on having a prayer meeting because God doesn't answer them. Uh, but that's not what Charles Finney did. He said, no, I'm going to believe that the word of God is true. And the problem is that we're not praying in faith or we're not meeting the conditions that God has laid out. And so where do you see us needing to go as a church today? And as the people listening today, what do they need to do? You mean in regards to prayer? Yes. Could you be more specific? Well, I'll be very specific. It seems to me that if we're going to have our prayers answered, we're going to have to meet the conditions. I believe the conditions are walking without sin. Yes, we know that's a condition because the scripture says that God's ears are closed to those who regard iniquity in their heart. Um, but that's not being taught today. Mm -hmm. Just the opposite is being taught. The sinning Christian is being taught. The casual Christian is being taught. And so you go into a church and they'll have the Super Bowl party deal. They'll have all of the entertainment of the world. They'll have lots of parties and lots of activities. But no souls are being saved. So somewhere, we've missed it. You had an experience today. Talk about that. Yes, so what Pastor Ray is referring to, so I was at the gym this morning, and there's a man I've been speaking to who is a fully disabled veteran. Um, so he brings his kids, he has three children, brings them to the kids club downstairs, and then he does some weightlifting upstairs. So he's been talking to me for a little while because he's in the process of going through a divorce, and he just was curious about you know my experience because my parents are divorced and what that was like and he was talking about how his children because now they're he and his wife have two different households he was talking about how when his kids are at his house there's one set of standards and one way of living and then when his kids are at his wife's house there's another way of living and he doesn't like that and so he said you know my wife doesn't like soon to be ex-wife doesn't do anything with the children she just you know they play with each other they play with the cat and they watch gospel movies and I was like well there's nothing wrong with watching gospel movies but it would probably be more useful if she would read the bible with them and he we've talked before he says he's a Christian so he was you know he says you know I believe in Christ but I don't think you should force your religion on anybody and then somebody wanted him to, to be a spotter, so he left. So a couple, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, we started talking again. And I said, you know, what did you mean that your children are living a different 
lifestyle when you're at your wife's house and you just want them to be able to live normal lives. He started talking about the kid's behavior. Um, he doesn't think his wife is disciplining, disciplining them adequately. He didn't mention the gospel movies, which is what I thought he was getting at. So then I said, well, I just wanted to say that, you know, my dad said he was a Christian when I was growing up and my mom was absolutely not a Christian. She's an atheist. But I, my dad would never practice his faith. And I said to him, I really wish my dad would have taken me to church and would have read the Bible with me because I went through a lot of suffering that wasn't necessary because I didn't know right from wrong. And I think that, you know, parents should raise their children in the faith and then they're responsible when they get older for whether they continue or not. And so then we started to, I don't know exactly how we got on the topic, but he started to say that he thought that, oh, I remember how we got on the topic. So he said, all the books in the Bible were written by men. I said, yes. He said, but there's only been one person who walked on the earth who was pure, and that was Jesus. I said, yes. So he says, well, that means all the books in the Bible were written by people who were sinners just like us. And I was like, well, the people who wrote the Bible weren't sinners. I mean, we were all sinners at one point, but once they were converted, they weren't sinners anymore. God changed them. And so he says, oh, no, no one can walk as pure as Jesus. It's blasphemy to say that. We're all going to sin until we die. You know, everyone's a sinner. And I was, you know, I was saying, well, have you read First John? He says, yes, I just read First John this Sunday. And I said, well, you know, First John 3, 9, it says, whoever is born of God does not commit sin. And he says, well, you know, I don't believe that. I don't think anyone can live a pure life. And, you know, we talked for maybe 10 minutes, and then I could tell he didn't really want to talk to me anymore. So I said, okay, I'm going to go finish my workout. Um, but this is the same, this is the same issue that Charles Finney was facing. It's not a new problem in the church, this teaching that we can't live without sin. But that's very troubling to me because the scripture is very clear that we're going to be judged by what we've done. And the only way to live a righteous life is through faith. But we do have to live a, a righteous life in order to be saved. And I should have asked him, I didn't think of this at the time, I should have asked him, who taught you this? Where did you learn this? Because as we see in the story of Charles Finney, anyone who's just simply reading the Bible for what it says would not arrive at this conclusion that everyone's a sinner, you're going to sin until you die, that Jesus saves us regardless of what we do and covers over all of our past present and future sins, you won't find that if you just read the scriptures. But it's so pervasive that it's more difficult to recognize it. So we can easily recognize, for example, that the Jehovah's Witnesses are not preaching the truth. And they, you know, they, they deny the divinity of Christ, which is a red flag. But they're organized in such a way that it's easy to identify it. But the difficulty with this teaching on the sinning Christian is it's not confined 
to one specific denomination or one specific church, but it has infiltrated a lot of different churches and to varying degrees. But it has never been the orthodox teaching of the church that we continue in sin until we die. And if you just read the scriptures, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. He said to the blind man who he healed, he says, don't sin again or a worse thing will happen to you. As I said in 1 John, it's so clear. It says, whoever is born of God does not commit sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And then it says, whoever commits sin is of the devil. And Jesus said the same thing in the Gospel of John when the Jews wanted to stone him to death. He said, you do the deeds of your father, the devil. And he says, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed, meaning free from sin. So we see it throughout the New Testament. You can read Romans chapter 6, that it's very clear that the gospel makes us truly free from sin. And that's what I said to this man. I said, Jesus wants to make you free, but you have to actually believe it. And he just doesn't believe it. And, you know, he says, well, I'm free already. I said, if you're still sinning, you're not free. But see, he would, like so many today, take the position, I'm covered by grace. And that's a, that's a position that many want to hold because then they can continue to walk in their sin and still claim that they're saved. And preachers stand up and teach Sunday after Sunday that grace covers you. Just do your best and God will do the rest. So there is no real edge that calls a person in our culture to repent. And we can't pay much attention to our salvation because there's so much else going on in our lives. There's so much hassle, so much travel, so much entertainment, so much to do and to see, that to narrow that down to that very difficult question that Finney asked, will I pursue a worldly life or will I pursue walking as a Christian? And we've mixed that in our culture in America and said you can live a worldly life and still be a Christian. And that's the lie. I mean, I would just say, if you believe any of these things, ask yourself, where did I learn this? Did I learn it when I was growing up? Did I learn it from my parents? Did I learn it from a certain church that I went to? And then actually look into, okay, what texts are they using to support this? And is that, sub is that overall the message of the New Testament, and you'll find that it's not. So Charles Finney wasn't any different than the modern American. He says later in the story that he was so busy as a lawyer that he had very little time to attend to his soul. But there were two days, it was a Monday and a Tuesday, where he didn't have too much work. So he was able to spend it in prayer and scripture. I personally, I was converted when I was at just an, an utterly overextended period of my life. I was teaching two college classes. 
I was taking three graduate classes. I had other jobs on the side. I was an editor of a literary journal. I was doing individual tutoring. It's not like I had a lot of time, but I spent an hour every day seeking after God, you know? And I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian. So I was trying to seek God through Hindu scriptures and through meditation and prayer. But everyone can do it. It's, there's no, uh, there's no true objection to neglecting the salvation of your soul. And if you would actually spend an hour every day attending to the subject, it wouldn't take long if you had a humble heart for God to really shed light on the truth as you study the scriptures and pray. There are two passages of scripture I want to share. One is in Revelation 21. This is the risen Lord speaking. This is not Jesus before the crucifixion. This is, he's been in heaven. It's Revelation 21. I'll begin with verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So you have to be thirsty. You have to make a decision in your heart that you want Jesus, that you desire him, that you must have him above everything else, hobbies, sports, television, internet, cell phone, movies, Everything else has to go that we would seek after the one who can give us without cost the spring of the water of life. And then it says in verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then if you look in Revelation 22, I'll begin reading with verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. I want you to notice their robes are not washed for them. They must wash their robes. They must take specific action to hunger after God. They may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gate into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murders, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Those are outside. They're not allowed to come in. There's no such thing as a sinning Christian. If you're walking in sin today in rebellion against God, you are not saved. To be saved means to be saved from your sin. And so the cry of this radio broadcast day after day is that you would see the dire situation that you are facing and stop the social life and the entertainment life 
that you would cast your entertainment out of your life and you would seek after Jesus with all of your heart. If you do not do this, there is no hope for you. And I just wanted to share a little bit about what this hunger looked like in my own experience. So for me, there were two key things. The first was I really wanted to live an ethical life. And the second was that I wanted to live in what I would have called at the time God consciousness, meaning I wanted to live consciously in the presence of God. I was extremely aware that I was not living in the presence of God. And as hard as I tried, I could not get to God. And I was also aware that in my efforts to live an ethical life, I had a very difficult time uh, suppressing or trying to control certain very strong sinful desires that I had, including uh, using drugs, cursing, compulsive shopping. These were things that I was aware of that I knew were not right, and it took a lot of effort and strength, and I was, I was never able to actually stop doing it. And I also realized that I couldn't identify what was really right and what was really wrong, because it seemed that it could get infinitely precise. So, for example, I felt that it would be a sin for me to drive my car because I would be supporting oil companies that were corrupt and were exploiting poor people around the world. And in driving my car, I would be releasing carcinogens into the environment that were toxic to other people. So I felt really in a bind, and I w but I was persistent. And I just want to say, if you right now aren't concerned about living an ethical life, that's very disturbing. Because what that's saying is it doesn't bother you if you're cheating or if you're speaking evil against other people or if you're lying. So when we speak about sin, it's not just something that doesn't matter. Sin always causes damage. It always causes pain. It always causes suffering. And it's evil. So the call of the gospel is that we stop doing evil and we do what is good. So we do what is good for God and we do what is good for others. And one illustration that was used yesterday, if you'll remember, if you listen to the broadcast yesterday, was if somebody who works at a store had stolen, say, $100, and he went to his boss and he asked his boss for forgiveness, but he still had the $100 in his pocket, how could his boss forgive him? It would be morally impossible. So it's the same way with God. If we haven't actually stopped sinning, if we haven't made right what we've done that's wrong, it's morally impossible for God to actually forgive us. So the forgiveness of your sins depends upon you starting a new life where you are totally devoted to Jesus, you give up all sin, you don't just swap out one sin for another, you give up all sin forever. And you give yourself totally to Jesus. And that word forgive in the Greek is aphemi, meaning to lift off of. 
you are not forgiven for your sin if you continue in that sin. To repent is to turn aside from it, to go another direction, and then you are forgiven, meaning that thing is taken away from you and the and the testimony of our dear brother up in Frederick was that as he listened to this broadcast, God sovereignly came and lifted alcoholism out of his life. And he was free. I believe he said he, was ac- he actually prayed and gave it to Jesus. Yes. Yes. And then he was free. Yes, he was. And he's been free for years now. And he's free now. Yes, he has no desire at all to drink alcohol. And Chuck, we rejoice in that testimony that you are free. But you see, if you are not free, you have not been forgiven. Yes. So forgiveness is not some ephemeral thing where you're, am I forgiven or aren't I? I don't feel forgiven. No, if you continue in that sin, you're not forgiven. Because it means you've not truly repented. Yes. And that work of repentance has to be finished. And we understand that really simply just in how we relate to other people. I mean, if somebody lies about you and then they keep lying about you, they never go and tell the people the truth. And we've had that happen to us. Then how could you forgive them? I mean, you let go of the debt in your heart, but in terms of actually being reconciled to the person... And you God's can't be forgiveness to the person. And God's forgiveness is different than our forgiveness. In our, in our forgiveness, we let go of it. It's gone from us, but it doesn't change them. But when God forgives you, he lifts off of you that sin, and you don't walk in it anymore. It's gone. All sin is removed from your life and your heart. And that's why the gospel is called, in some places, the ministry of reconciliation. So we are truly reconciled and we can be one with God because we no longer offend him, but we keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we have a peace and a unity and a joy and a oneness with God. Do you understand? You cannot do your duty toward God. You cannot do your duty toward God unless you are willing to give yourself totally and completely to him and allow him to remove your sin. And if you're walking in that sin today, bitterness, anger, selfishness, sexual uncleanness, the worldly entertainment and all of the worldly connections, if you're walking in all of that, you've not been forgiven and you're a sinner before God, And you are condemned to hell forever. There's no in-between here. What we're going to share now, a portion, we don't have much time, but we're going to share as far as we can, the story of his conversion to Jesus. And we'll continue this tomorrow. We're doing this because we want you to come into a full understanding of what it means to be converted, to have your sins forgiven, and to walk clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. We want you to know the reality of that in your life, and then we want you to know the full incoming 
the full anointing, the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want you to know that God loves you, but he's not going to play games with you. Well, let's share this story. So Charles Finney writes, One Sunday night in the autumn of 1821, I made up my mind that I would settle the question of my soul's salvation, and if it were possible, I would make my peace with God. However, as I was very busy in the affairs of the office, I knew that I would never attend to the subject with any real results unless I was determined. Therefore, I resolved then and there, as far as possible, to avoid all business and everything that would divert my attention in order to give myself wholly to the work of securing the salvation of my soul. I carried this resolution into execution as sternly and thoroughly as I could. I was, however, obliged to be in the office a good deal. But as the providence of God would have it, I did not have much to do, either on Monday or Tuesday of that particular week, and so I had the opportunity to read my Bible and engage in prayer most of the time. But I was very proud without knowing it. I had supposed that I did not care much about others' opinions of me, and I had in fact been quite obvious in attending prayer meetings and paying attention to religion while in Adam's. In this respect, I had led the church at times to think that I must be an anxious inquirer. But when I had to face the question, I found that I was very unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. When I prayed, I would only whisper my prayer, after having plugged the keyhole in the door, lest someone should discover that I was engaged in prayer. Before that time, my Bible lay on the table with the rest of my law books, and it had never occurred to me to be ashamed of being found reading it, any more than I should be ashamed of being found reading any of my other books. But after I had addressed myself in earnest to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as I could. If I was reading it when anybody came in, I would throw my law books on top of it to create the impression that I had not had the Bible in my hands. Instead of being outspoken and willing to talk with anybody and everybody on the subject as before, I found myself unwilling to talk to anyone. I did not want to see my minister because I did not want to let him know how I felt, and I had no confidence that he would understand my case and give me the direction that I needed. For the same reasons, I avoided conversation with the elders of the church or with any of the Christian people. I was ashamed to let them know how I felt on the one hand. On the other, I was afraid they would misdirect me. I felt myself left only to the Bible. During Monday and Tuesday, my convictions increased, but still it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer if I could be alone where I could use my voice and express myself. I was shy and avoided speaking to anybody on any subject as much as I could, and I made sure not to arouse any suspicion that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. Tuesday night I became very nervous, and in the night a strange feeling came over me as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did die, I would sink down to hell, but I quieted myself as best I could until morning. At an early hour on Wednesday I started for the office. But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me. 
as if an inward voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? You know, as you're reading this, Alexandra, my heart is quickened because he is so clear in what he was doing and why he was doing it. There was none of this casualness. It was very purposeful. He was very clear. He wanted to secure his soul's salvation. That was his quest. Now, if you have asked God for forgiveness, but you have not left your sin, you are insulting the God of heaven. And he is real, he is alive, he is present, and he brings judgment on the lives of people. So, Mr. Finney is setting an example as a young 23, 24-year-old young man that we need to emulate very carefully to set our hearts on being clear that we want Jesus. Hmm? Continue reading, please. So the inward voice said to Mr. Finney, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? And what are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was open to me in a marvelous manner. I think I then saw, as clearly as I ever have in my life, the reality and fullness of the atonement of Christ. I saw that his work is a finished work, and that instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ. Gospel salvation seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete, and all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Christ. Instead of being a thing to be brought about by my own works, salvation was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ, who presented himself before me as my God and my Savior. Without being distinctly aware of it, I had stopped in the street, right where the inward voice had first come upon me. How long I remained in that position, I cannot say. But after I contemplated this distinct revelation for a while, the inner voice seemed to ask, Will you accept it now, today? I replied, Yes, I will accept it today, or I will die in the attempt. North of the village and over a hill lay a stretch of woods in which I walked almost daily when the weather was pleasant. It was now the 10th of October, and the time was past for my frequent walks there. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course toward the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human eyes and ears, so that I could pour out my prayer to God. But still my pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on earth who would have suspected such a thing had he seen me going. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, that I skulked along the fence until I got so far out of sight that no one from the village could see me. 
I then made my way into the woods nearly a quarter of a mile, went over on the other side of the hill, and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between. There I saw I could make a kind of closet. I crept into this place and knelt down for prayer. As Pastor Ray said, we do ad admire this man's determination. And I just want to say that anyone who's converted, it's going to require this type of single-mindedness where you say, I'm not going to get off track, but I'm going to get right with God. Finney continues, As I turn to go up into the woods, I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God or I never will come down from there. I, c I recall repeating this as I went up. I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that if I could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard, I would pray freely. But when I tried it, I was mute. I had nothing to say to God, or at least I could say only a few words, and those without heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves and would stop and look up to see if somebody was coming. I did this several times. Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and it will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods. When I tried, I found I could not give my heart to God. My soul hung back, and my heart was in no way going out to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late, that I was past hope, and that God must have given up on me. I then began to think my promise rash, that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if that were binding upon my soul, and yet I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me, and I felt almost too weak to get up on my knees. Just at that moment, I again thought I heard someone approach me, and I opened my eyes to see whether it were so. But just then it was distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave that place if all the men on the earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am, on my knees, confessing my sins to the great and holy God, how can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, find me on my knees, endeavoring to make my peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down before the Lord. We're just about out of time for today's broadcast. We're going to pick it up there tomorrow. You know, Alexandra, what I'm hearing as you read is this absolutely clean determination to get right with Jesus and to go all the way with him, to not just pay lip service not to just be involved in the social life of the church, but to get right with Jesus. And I'm wondering today, as you've listened to us sharing this, has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you? 
Are you right today with Jesus? Or are you Laodicea? Are you lukewarm? A cold heart? Dry eyes? No passion for Jesus? Just saying, I'm saved. Everything's okay. No, it's not okay. You're hellbound that way. Jesus said, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be vomited out of the mouth of God. I want to be washed and made clean. Well, today, as we have just minutes left, Alexander, I'm going to ask you to pray for the people who are listening. That they'll make this choice today. Would you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this broadcast today. I pray for each person who has listened and who will listen as they download this podcast. Lord Jesus, I ask that every deceitful hiding place would be ripped away by your spirit and that it would be impossible for anyone who was in sin listening to this broadcast to stay in it but Lord that they would have this same determination to get right with you and to do so immediately Lord thank you for pouring out a full and free salvation for us we pray in your name Amen You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. And I'm Alexandra. Thank you for listening today. Would you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? Would you click on the donate button and help us cover this month's rent on the radio? Also go to our webpage, revivalnow.church revivalnow.church God bless you brother, sister, we love you we want you to be given over to Jesus we'll talk to you soon